was it a one long epic nap in the sun? <laughs> or was it another nine to five work week? Was all right, so we got a mix. That was really responsive. I'm looking forward to the night so far. This is great. Uh, could you die on stage several times? Uh, that's really the question. Um, those of you who don't know me, I'm Sid Drew, and I'm the campus minister for this thing called RUF, Reform University Fellowship. Um, RUF is a Christian campus ministry that exists for the convinced and the unconvinced, for the believer and the unbeliever. For the prepared and the unprepared, for the student who is fully tanned, laundered, and gymmed, <laughs> and the student who sunbathes under fluorescence, puts on clothing inside out, and only runs when chased by something vicious. <laughs> That's me, by the way. Okay. Um, and the REF exists for those of you who aren't sold on Jesus, and those of you who don't know where else to turn in life. In other words, whoever you are, wherever you are, Welcome to RUF. Thanks for coming. Um, we hope that RUF gets to know you and you get to know RUF. So that means if you've been around RUF for a while, not now, later, introduce yourself to somebody new. Maybe that person's been coming every week and you just keep meaning to ask their name, but now it's too late. Go ahead and say hello. Um, maybe ask their name. Be bold or courageous. Um, if you're new, thanks for coming. Um, the pressure's off. Relax, hang out, maybe meet a new, few new people if you want to. Um, again, I know it's a bold step, so thanks for coming. All right, do we have the sign-up? Are we on that? Woo! Boy, a blind spot right there with the, with the music stand. Here, I'm just going to go this way. Uh, if you sign up for this, don't sign up again. Otherwise, you'll get multiple emails. Um, this is a good way to get connected to RUF. It's a good way to stay informed about what we're up to. Uh, and we're up to a lot, I don't know if you noticed, um, on our amazing bulletin and slides. So um, it's getting harder and harder to keep up with us because we're just, you know, it's fast-paced, life in the fast lane. We're driving our own car in our own lane, and we love it. So um, that's purely for Jen, that joke. Um, anyway, so we, uh, we appreciate you coming. Just go ahead and sign up if you want to sign up. If you don't, that's fine, too. Um, also, you can look at the Facebook group if you're on Facebook, and that's your, and that's your primary mode. Um, we have NMSURUF is a great way to do that. Um, can I just, I'm going to say a few words about this. I really don't want to belabor the point, because I really don't think this needs selling. Summer conference? Do we need selling on that? I mean, $315, 10 days, all expenses paid, food, travel, everything. We're going to fundraise the rest. And we're going to, it's fun in the sun, it's wonderful worship, it's wonderful to learn about Christianity, whether you're new to it, you've been there for a while, or you're interested in learning more. Um, come along with us. Uh, enjoy that. Epicness. So, if you if you are not sure about two hundred fifteen dollars, money's not going to be the reason that you don't come. So, come talk to me. I'm not going to make you get your financial statements. Okay, that's not how we're rolling. Um, I'm just going to ask you what you can afford and talk to you about a few things like that. And it's really just going to be on your honor, Scott's honor. Okay. So, um, anyway, come do that. Another thing I feel like I shouldn't have to sell is REF T-shirts. I mean, if you're wearing an REF T-shirt. Can we raise your hand, maybe? Can we just raise our hands? It's okay to stare. It's beautiful. Okay? It's beautiful. So, um, look, $12, isn't that right? Is that the price? It's, that's relatively cheap. Do you see that three-quarter length sleeve? I mean, yes, good job. <laughs> You're showing it off. See, still, when he raised his hand, it was still past the elbow. Just one for the record. Okay. Um, all right, finally, look. 
kind of, and then we're going to get to what we're getting to. Friday is just full of fun. Okay, I don't know how we pack this all into a day. It's exhausting being RUF sometimes. Um, but did you notice what's going on on Friday? It's it's funness. It's funosity. It's funorific. Is that a? I mean, I have to make up words. It's so amazing. Again, maybe I have to sell this more than summer conference for T-shirts. But capture the flag. 2 p.m. in mural fields. Come on, people. Who doesn't want to? capture the flag. <laughs> Sells itself. Okay. And we're having a highlighter party. And I know, like, when you think highlighter, and I know some of you saw the slides, but when you think highlighter, you think, this is REF's way to trick me into studying. <laughs> They're going to get the study buddy out with the arms, snuggle time. Maybe this is a fake date that REF and I are going to go on, where we pretend to study the textbook, but we just, you know, do something else. Um, look, um, I know you have group projects sooner than you think, okay? Sooner, they're due sooner than you think. But the highlight party, can I say parte? Is that allowed? I don't know if it is. I feel like that age, that's pushing age. Limitations on that. Um, the highlight parte, it has to be a parte. I mean, it's black lights. Isn't that required that you add an extra foul? Um, it's just good, clean, American, pure, straight up, New Mexican Funness. Okay, so get on board. All right. That's it. I'm done. I'm done being a used car salesman. Okay. So, um, honestly, those are fun ways to get involved. And really, the reason we're doing these things is that it helps us to get to know each other. You can invite people to it, it's a great opportunity uh, to build community. So, what, I mean, plus it's highlighters and bubbles, glow in the dark bubbles. Okay, so we're looking at this semester Paul's letter to the Colossians, um, the book of Colossians in the Bible. And I've, I've kind of come together with this, this title that you guys have heard a bunch of times, some of you, some of you have never heard of it, and here it goes, okay? My best attempt for a title is this, What If Enough Was Actually Enough? What If Enough Was Actually Enough? Subtitle. How Jesus is all we ever really wanted and needed anyway. So what if enough was actually enough? how Jesus is all we ever really wanted and needed anyway. And here's what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to get across what I think the letter to the Colossians is getting at. Um, in our passage tonight, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, we'll get at this. Uh, and it'll help explain what it looks like to live like Jesus is enough. Okay? So we're going to look at what it looks like um, to, to live like Jesus is enough. That's a lot of likes in a row. Before we dive into the passage tonight, though, I'm going to give you a recap about the letter to the Colossians. Okay? Colossians, um, not Colossians. I think someone told me the other day that they thought I was saying Colossians every time I said Colossians, which I think is awesome. Uh, it's true. It sounds like it, doesn't it? Colossa is in modern Turkey, uh, and Paul's writing under the inspiration of God to remind the Colossians and us about the gospel. The gospel is the central message of Christianity. It's who Jesus really is and what Jesus really did. Okay? And so the first chapter of the letter, one of the third, the first chapter was just a bunch of introductions. Okay? Hey, I'm Paul. This is my ministry. Hello, Colossians. This is, what, this is where you live in Asia Minor, somewhere near Turkey, or southwest Turkey. And here's the good news of the gospel. Okay? Chapter 2 gave us that brilliant, beautiful, offensive description about how to live. Okay? How not to live, rather. And here's my metaphor. Paul took us all by the spiritual shoulders and shook the false religious snot out of us. That's exactly what was going on in chapter 2. He shook us until we had nothing left inside of us. And he said, you got it now? 
and we said, uh-huh, just we'd let go of us. That's what was going on in chapter 2. And then there's segue to chapter 3, where we see how to live. How to live. The why and how of what it means to live well as human beings, okay? What it means to truly and fully and finally be human. What it means to truly and finally and fully love well. Okay, that's what we're looking at today. And again, um, I've swept bullets over this passage, uh, but let's hope and pray for some clear explanation. It's so much easier to talk about what the Christian life isn't than it is to talk about what it is. Um, and, but I think this passage does it beautifully. So would you stand for the reading of Scripture? We're going to look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. If you have a Bible, it's in there. In the New Testament, the latter three quarters of your Bible. Between Philippians and 1 Thessalonians, go past Romans. If you've hit Hebrews, you've gone too far. Um, and also Bolton. Blue thing, inside right. Okay? So Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read it from the English Standard Version translation. It's in your bolt. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you two once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of the, after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Friends, these are the words of God. They are more precious than gold, even much fine gold, and they are sweeter than honey, even honey from the honeycomb. Would you pray with me? Father, uh... Again, I confess I've been sweating bullets over this passage. I think it's very difficult. It's hard to comprehend. I pray that you'd help me to be clear and simple. Um, I pray that you would give us ears to hear um, in this moment. Uh, I pray that you would honor our desire to hear what your scriptures have to say, what, um, what Paul wrote to those people in Turkey so many years ago, but which continues to have universal relevance that touches us in the most personal and private places. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to hear it, to know it, uh, to change us through your word. Um, your word, uh, even spoken by a person like me. I pray that you would help us um, to know you more, to change, to become more like you. I pray that your spirit would fill us and that, it would, that he would work. That's our prayer. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> okay, so my, my sister and I basically grew up in front of a television. Uh, that's just the way life was. So um, I've, I've come to this reality in my life more and more. 
Um, in fact, it requires that I not have cable television because I can't help but flip through channels for the rest of my life. So now we only have basic cable. Well, not basic cable, just networks. We can get an antenna. But anyway, what that really means is that my early childhood memories, a lot of them are uh, basically shows that we watched growing up, or especially cartoons. We watched the same shows, the same cartoons, over and over and over and over and over again, like many of you probably did when you were growing up. And one cartoon we watched over and over again was a short eight-minute movie called Lambert the Sheepish Lion. This is obscure. It's obscure. Although it was nominated for an Oscar, people, um, just so you know, short film category. Anyway, given to the Emperor of Japan, his favorite Disney movie. Just so you know, okay? Hirohito loved it. So here's the basic plot of Lambert the Sheepish Lion. It's probably better that you don't know it. Um, Lambert is a baby lion who's mistaken as a baby sheep. And so the stork baby animal delivery service drops the lion cub with a sheep mama. Okay? And the stork realizes this mistake, but it's too late. The mama won't give back the lion cub. And so Lambert the lion is left to grow up and live as a sheep. And so Lambert grows up in a situation where he doesn't fit in at all. Okay? Sheep life is uncomfortable. Sheep life is self-conscious for a lion named Lambert. He's out of step with the rest of his friends and playmates. And then the other sheep oftentimes make fun of Lambert because he looks and acts different. They say things like, you can't baa, you can't even bleat, your ears are too small, and so are your feet. <laughs> it's wonderful. If you rhyme and insult somebody, it's over. That sticks with them. That hurts. That leaves a mark. Okay? Lambert doesn't have any wool. He's yellow, not white. Okay? And all, he can't even compete in the favorite game of his sheep, little sheep friends, his lamb friends, which is headbutting. Okay? All he can do is paw off the ground and pounce, because remember, he's a lion. So all these difference, differences make Lambert a cowardly, nervous wreck. To top it off, the other lambs have a song version to taunt Lambert that holds every A into a ba sound, which I'm not going to try to, to imitate too bad, okay? But it goes something like this, okay? Lambert, you can imagine, eh, 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 Lambert, okay? The sheepish lion, Lambert, eh, 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 is always trying to be a wild and woolly sheep, but he's Lambert, eh, the sheepish lion. Okay, so Lambert the sheepish lion, Lambert is always trying to be a wild and woolly sheep, but he's Lambert the sheepish lion. Okay, so that's an insult, and it's a song now, so it's the mark is, the scar, Mark's becoming a scar. Okay, so you feel terrible for Lambert for most of the movie. I mean, he's got no skills that seem any earthly good, okay? All of a sudden, though, his mom is taken captive by a wolf, and in the moment... That's the moment that Lambert lives up to who he truly is, lives up to his nature. In the face of the wolf, Lambert acts like a lion, the king of the jungle. He paws at the ground, and he roars in anything but a bleat, and he pounces on the wolf. And you see, in that moment, Lambert realized something profound about who he was. He's not a sheep made to bleat and to baa and to headbutt and to produce wool. He's a lion, the king of the jungle, made to paw and roar 
and pouts. Do you realize, I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. Do you realize that many of us, most of the, most of the time, many of us most of the time, are trying to be wild and woolly sheep when we're actually lions in Jesus Christ? I know. Okay, don't get stuck on the metaphor here, okay? You're thinking Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I've got lambs all over the place in the Bible. This is frustrating to me. Um, look, I mean, Isaiah, Revelation. Don't make me go into the latter chapters of Isaiah, okay? And show you that Christ Jesus is uh, imaged as a lion, okay? And so we're just going to have to deal with my metaphor, okay? That... Most of us are trying to be wild and woolly sheep, and we're actually lions in Jesus Christ. Look at verses 1 through 4. If you believe in Jesus, you're a new creation. You really and truly have new life, a new self. What is true of Jesus is now true of you. All the power, all the glory of his life, death, and resurrection are yours. So why are we trying to live a life we're no longer meant to live? And that's what verses 5 through 9 describe. Maybe you don't believe me. But um, I can imagine that most of us feel uncomfortable, self-conscious, nervous, and out of step with what our culture tells us college is really all about. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. It's not about an education. It's about sowing your wild oats. It's not about getting, getting a degree. It's about living it up. When you try to live out the lyrics to the Asher Ross song, I Love College, it just feels wrong, doesn't it? And when you try to live differently than the rest of NMSU on Thursday or Friday or Saturday night, and I don't mean just not going to house parties, okay? Some of you probably need to trust Jesus and love your friends enough to go with them where they like to go. So maybe you're like, that's not biblical. And I'll say 1 Corinthians 9 and Matthew 9. Go take a look at those. Paul and Jesus both go to house parties. I'm sorry. That's what happened. Okay, so it's not the house party that's the problem. I'm talking about not drinking too much. I'm talking about not hooking up. I'm talking about not verbally trashing people. Whether that's at a house party or in your dorm room or at church, whether that's day or night or whatever day or night of the week, it doesn't matter. My point is this. When our idea of a good time doesn't involve headbutting, drunkenness, and wool gathering, sexual and verbal abuse, of course we feel like a wet blanket. That's the tension of being a lion in a lamb's world. Okay? Why? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Verse 30. You see, look, wherever you are, whoever you are, uh, wherever you are with Jesus, the children's story, Lambert the Sheepish Lion, is telling us something deep and true and simple. Okay? Who you think you are determines how you live. Who you think you are determines how you live. Who you think you are determines how you think, how you feel, how you act. That's what the brilliance of the children's stories is. <laughs> And as we make our way in this life, it takes a lot of faith to believe that you're not an ugly duckling, but a swan. That you're not a poor beggar, but a king who's forgotten that he's rich. And to believe we only have this beauty, we only have this wealth in Jesus Christ. It takes a lot of faith. And this is really what our passage tonight is all about. What story about ourselves are we going to believe? 
What story about ourselves are we going to believe? Are we going to believe the gospel? Are we going to believe that Jesus is in us and we're in him? And we're becoming more like him every day? Or are we going to believe the lies today? Are we going to believe that we don't need Jesus? Or that we're powerless to change in a world that doesn't want us to change? That Jesus is just some infant-sized kickboard in a life a life full of, oce- of oceanic, giant, tossing, storming waves. God, through Paul, tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1-11, through 11, our passage, he tells us this, By faith, we're wrapped up in Jesus, and he's wrapped up in us. By faith, we're wrapped up in Jesus, and he's wrapped up in us. Therefore, by Jesus at work in us, we live different lives. So, by faith, we're wrapped up in Jesus, he's wrapped up in us. Therefore, because Jesus is working in us, we can live different lives. Our pastor tonight divides into two distinct parts. First, in verses 1 through 4, we see the story of who we are. Okay? And you've gotten a hint by this, of this, by the way, in the introduction. The story of who we are, in verses 1 through 4, you're not you anymore. You're not you anymore. You're now you and Jesus. You're not you anymore, you're now you and Jesus. Second, in verse 5 through 11, we see how this story changes how we live. We put to death and we put off using and abusing people. We put to death and we put off using and abusing people. So verses 1 through 4 tell us, you're not you anymore, you're now you and Jesus. And verses 5 through 11 tell us, we put off, we put to death, using and abusing people. Okay? That's where we're going. That's what it looks like. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. Okay? You're not you anymore. You're now you and Jesus. That's, by the way, a takeaway of the gospel story. The gospel story is given in summary form in verses 1 through 4. And it goes something like this. This is the story of the gospel. God sent his, God, God sent his son to become a real man, Jesus of Nazareth, in a real place, Palestine, at a real time around 0 AD. There and then, Jesus lived a perfectly loving life for us. There and then, Jesus died a sacrificial death for us. There and then, Jesus rose from the grave for us. If we believe this gospel story is true, we become united to Jesus Christ. That's what it takes. Jesus' spirit comes to dwell in us And there's a sense in which we spiritually dwell in Jesus. And Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ there resting at the right hand of the Father, resting from the work that he's already accomplished when he was here on earth. Here's what being united to Christ means. What is true of Jesus is now true of us. What happened to our head, Jesus, happens to Jesus' body, those people who believe. Again, I'm saying us. Again, I know not all of you are there, but imagine the story that you could believe. Jesus' life could be, maybe is, ours. Jesus is giving us all his perfect love. Jesus' death is ours. Jesus has taken on and absorbed the cost of all of our non-loving self-centeredness, once and for all. And Jesus' resurrection is ours. Jesus is empowering us to put to death selfishness. And even to put to death, death itself. We all have 
we all, by faith, have Jesus' power and glory and approval. Just think about it this way. Your union with Christ, we now, if you believe in that, if that's where you are, you have the same relationship with God that Jesus does. You have the same relationship to God that Jesus has to God. God the Father loves God the Son, Jesus, with a perfect and never-ending love. And now God loves us equally, equally, in perfect passion and everlasting time. That is a huge truth, and it makes no sense at a, at a big level, okay? So let me give you an incredible illustration that will help you, okay? That I'm totally stealing from a guy named Richie Sessions. He's just notes, bald-faced stealing. Okay, but I've quoted him, so now it's quoted. So, anyway, he tells a story about going to St. Louis and going to a baseball game, um, which some of you already perked up, okay? So, it was October, it was the playoffs, St. Louis... Uh, was playing uh, Houston Astros, and it was the bottom of the 11th inning, okay? So it's overtime. It's a tie score. Jim Edmonds comes up to the plate for the Cardinals. There's the pitch. He swings the bat. Crack. The ball soaring, soaring, soaring. It's a home run. Meanwhile, Sessions is full frontal hugging the man next to him. He does not know. They're jumping up and down, Okay? Nachos and beer are flying everywhere. Everywhere, all over. They're showered in queso, showered in corn chips, showered in alcohol, okay? And they're shouting over and over again, we won, we won, we won. Looking back on that moment, Sessions, uh, the pastor said, I wanted to yell to the guy who was overweight who I was hugging, no fat man. You didn't hit a home run. Edmonds hit a home run. But at the same time, there's a deeper reality, which he says, we did win, we did win, Edmonds hit the home run, and we won. Here's how Sessions relates that story to our union with Jesus Christ. This is what union with Jesus Christ means. You did nothing, fat person. You did nothing, fat person, but you won. You did nothing, fat person, but you won. And this is the source of joy and power that we have in Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can fight all of our selfishness, all of our sins, all of our despair over our selfishness and our sins. Or maybe our ignorance of all of the above. On our own, we are helpless, absolutely and utterly helpless to fight sin fight the sin around us and inside of us. That self-centeredness that we can't get around. But we've been united to someone who can, has, and will fight our battle with sin for us. Do you get how encouraging that is? That Jesus is going to finish what we start? You've got to take that into verses 5 through 11. You've just got to. Because you won't get the passage if you don't. Because when we look at verses 5 through 11, we look at a bunch of do not rules. That's what we see. And you said, Sid, I thought you, you shook that religious snot out of me. Um, or Paul did, rather. You know, and I see a bunch of lists of do not rules. But here's the deal there's a couple things that we need to keep in focus. The story of who we are defines the shape of our life. Okay? So the story of who we are in Jesus Christ, our union with Christ, defines how we live, what we live for, how we behave, how we relate to other people, 
And so our union with Christ transforms what seems like a list of do-nots into a description of what it means to be a heavenly lion and an earthly world of sheep. This is what it means to be a heavenly lion and an earthly world of sheep, is what verses 5-11 through 11 are talking about. Verses 5-11 through 11 warn us not to mistake headbutting, bleeding, wool gathering, as what it means to be a pawing, roaring, pouncing lion. In more human terms, we're not to use and abuse people with our sex and with our speech. How? How do we do that? I'm a mess. I'm a mess, okay? I, I say that a lot, but let me give you some examples. I am 45 emails behind right now, okay? And counting. That's just, that's, I fake checked last week, but now it's 45 and counting, okay? So it's probably like more like 70, okay? I, I say stupid things in one-on-ones all the time. That's just my job. When I sit down with you and say something stupid, I apologize in advance. When I'm with my kids, all I do is run away from bath time and, and, eat, and feeding them. I go and find something more important to do. I promise you. Ask my wife. Okay? And here's the deal. Jesus is working through even that. You've got to believe that. Otherwise, you're not even going to look at verses 5 through 11. You're just not. He's working through even that. My paltry, half-hearted, well-meaning efforts to love my kids, to love my wife, to love you all, to do my job. He's working through that, and he's finishing it. Okay, by his resurrection power, he's fighting for us. Through him, we put these life habits to death to mortify our sins. Why? Because that's not who we are anymore. That's not who we are anymore. Okay, we're in Jesus, and we're being renewed in the knowledge after his image, verse 10. Okay, that's why this list is included. That's not who we are anymore, so we've got to lay it aside. Look, take the way that Paul addresses sex in verse 5. Look, now I've got your attention. Okay, Paul isn't giving us, right, a how-to instruction manual here. This is how it's different than laws or rules. Okay, look, how, how, how do I know that? Nowhere in this verse 5 does it tell us what we in our sheepishness want. Nowhere. Nowhere does it tell us how far is too far. Nowhere does it tell us seven easy steps to guard your heart. Nowhere. Paul is also not saying that everything on the world, everything in the earth revolving around sex is bad. He's not saying, nowhere in this verse is he saying, sex is bad and gross and you shouldn't ever, ever, ever do it. Okay, That's not what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. Paul's giving us five terms to describe how we abuse a good gift. He's giving us five terms to describe how we abuse a good gift of sex. For instance, take the word porneia in the Greek, which is sexual immorality. Okay? That's how it's translated. That's the most ambiguous term ever, by the way. Not, I'm frustrated with that. But here's what it means. The word porneia refers to sex used outside of marriage. It's sex wrongly used. Abused. Okay? And why is sex with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or some random stranger or maybe just someone you constantly call a friend? Why is that a problem? Why was it a problem for me in college, let's be honest? Because it hurts people. It hurts people. It hurts you and it hurts, and it hurts the other person. It's a, it's a problem for the same reason that C.S. Lewis says it's a problem and it's disgusting to get pleasures out of a food 
uh, a pleasure food's taste without swallowing and digesting it, by just chewing things and then spitting them out. That's what you're doing when you do sex outside the context of marriage. Look, you must not isolate the pleasure of sex and try to get it by itself. Sex and marriage are a package deal. Physical union needs to be matched by emotional, spiritual, financial, and social union. That's what the scripture is teaching here, okay? So why do we isolate sex from marriage? It's because of our covetousness, okay? We covet. We're trying to own a girlfriend or a boyfriend. We're trying to own them without being one with them, without going through the proper steps of marriage, okay? And this is, a, this is the very definition, trying to own somebody without going through the proper steps. That's the very definition of using somebody. Okay? Just so you know, it is. Okay? Think about it this way. I think this is a really helpful description. Okay? We have a very, very, very weak social understanding of consent. We do. Our idea of consent is very low. There are plenty of cases where people... Don't say yes with 100% full assurance, with 100% freedom. Okay, let's just take a couple examples. He's drunk. She's high. He's codependent. She doesn't want to lose a boyfriend. And they're not sure they can just say no. Those are all examples of consent that's weakly gained. And do you get the verse 5 point here? There's no such thing as consensual sex outside the covenant of marriage. There's no such thing as consensual sex outside of the covenant of marriage. Consensuality requires covenant. Requires an agreement to give everything to the person. This is going to shock you. Maybe you can throw things at me. But here we go. Okay, Because you should just know I was in the same boat. Date rape is far more frequent than we think. Date rape is far more frequent than we think. It doesn't just involve someone physically stronger. All right. Let's move on. Do you get that? Do you get that? That's what I'm saying. Like, consensuality, our definition of consensuality doesn't meet the need. Okay? But before we think of sex just as an act, look at the other terms that Paul uses to describe its abuses. Okay? So sex isn't just an act. It's impurity. It's passion. It's evil desires. All of these are mental and emotional. So you've got to put to death pornography, too. That's my one application, Okay? That's pretty clear from the passage. Your thought life needs to be put to death as well. My thought life needs to be put to death as well. And then we'll look at the other habits. Let's look at verses 7, or 8 in particular, through 9, okay? The other habits that Paul's speaking to you are speech. Again, Paul's not giving us an instruction manual. This is not just a bunch of rules. Here's why. Nowhere in verses 8 through 9 does it, does it tell us what we sheepishly want to know. It doesn't. Look. <laughs> Look, what bad words are off limits? Where's that? Can I say crap? Can I drop the F-bomb when I stub my toe? When I'm really hurt, can I drop it? Is that, does that answer that? Or does this person answer that question? That's what we really want to know. Okay? So again, it's not catering to us, okay? And look, just like sex, Paul's not saying that all words or speech forms in the world on earth are bad. Okay? He's not saying that. Nor does he say they don't speak in heaven. They don't speak. He's not saying that. He's not saying they don't speak in heaven. Okay? Therefore, sign language or carrying a, a notepad is a must if you feel like you have to speak. 
He's not saying that. Okay? He's not pushing that. In fact, Paul is spending much of his speech list going below the surface to the reason why, why it's a problem, why it's a problem to do character assassination, why it's a problem to lie, why it's a problem to sexually harass someone. It's a problem because it clearly hurts other people. Okay? And what's interesting is not so clear at first is that it clearly hurts us. Because look at this. It's the spark of anger that flames into the fire of rage that sets ourselves on fire with malice. And he's not talking about righteous anger. This isn't someone getting angry about the poor or injustice. Okay? This isn't Bono. Okay? This is all of us. And Bono sometimes. So... Um, if our sexual morality is caused by covetousness, that desire to own somebody else and to extract sexual pleasure no matter what the cost, if that's what, if that's what sexual morality is, and that's why we do it, we slander someone, that is, we destroy their dignity. When we do that, usually behind his or her back, usually to our friends, it's out of anger. That's what the passage is telling us. So sexual morality is out of um, covetousness out of an over desire uh, to get what you want slanders out of anger does that make sense and here's why Okay. this anger is initially caused by a desperation of losing social control the reason that we lie the reason that we slander the reason that we character assassinate the reason that we sexually harass someone is to regain sexual social control excuse me social control we fear losing friends, we fear losing influence, we fear losing affection to someone else or our friend's affection for someone else. And that's why we do that. Okay? I love the way that the Scottish preacher Alexander McLaren puts the cause of slander. He says, The heated metal of anger will be forged into poisoned arrows of the tongue. Huh. I, don't, I couldn't do that. Okay, let me say it again. The heated metal of anger will be forged into poisonous, poisoned arrows of the tongue. So again, like sex, hateful, abusive speech is not just limited to the words we say. Okay, It's not just what we do. It also resides in our thoughts and our feelings as well. So again, we don't just have to put together bitter speech forms. We also have to put together bitter thoughts. We have to put to death bitter thoughts. Okay, so we don't have to just put to death bitter speech. We have to put together, put to death bitter speech thoughts. Okay, awesome. <laughs> okay, focus. <laughs> this is great. So we put to death bitter speech forms and put to death bitter thoughts. Okay, here we go. Got through it. Okay, look, and this is already, I'm already kind of proving my case in point. We get so lost in the details of this passage. It is exhausting. It's exhausting to go through a vice list, is what this is called, okay? Of what to do and not, of what not to do in this case, okay? We lose the big picture. And I don't want us to lose the, lose the big picture. These are important details by all means. That's why I spent time on them. But let's not lose the big picture, okay? Let's not lose what this is all about, the why and the how of the Christian life. So I'm going to give you a couple broad, huge strokes, and then we're going to get, we're going to get out of here, okay? Here it is. Verses 5 through 9 are telling us to put off, put to death, abusive sex from lustful coveting and abusive speech from burning anger. Okay, that's the summary. These things don't describe us in Jesus. That's why we put them off. 
They don't fit the gospel story of who we are. That's why we put them to death. Okay? But it's really important to notice that we tend to hammer one sin set, and we tend to turn a blind eye to the other. You probably got deeply offended when I launched into sex. Maybe some of you did. And maybe some of you, at the same time, really appreciated the way I launched into speech. Okay? And like bad speech patterns. And maybe you're a social liberal. And if you got mad when I talked about speech, but then you got really excited when I talked about sex, maybe you're a social conservative. Okay? And here's the point. These terms are unhelpful. They're unhelpful. Why? Because this passage sadly condemns both things. It sadly condemns, it wants us to hammer, it wants us to not turn a blind eye to sexual abuses and to verbal abuses. Okay? What does this mean? We need to stop obsessing over one kind of sin. We've got to stop it. We've got to stop it in our own lives. We've got to certainly stop it in other people's lives. Okay? That is killing us. It's killing the church. It's killing the world. This is one way that we live in a world described by verse 11, where Christ is all and in all, and there's no oppression. We don't take hobby horse sins, and we don't make them the big deal. Okay? And my final point is this. Okay, this is my last point. Plus, I can say the best I could. Paul's descriptions of the thoughts, feelings, actions, and desires that we're supposed to put off all involve this idea of filth. you just got to get that. It's really clear in the original language of Greek, okay? Literally, there is the flavor of the bathroom of impure, obscene, bodily waste to the sex and the speech that we're to reject. And this is exactly what makes them so harmful. Carrying that metaphor forward, that's problematic to be spewing and acting out um, bathroom stuff, okay? <laughs> and look, I, I'm going to tell you a story. He may disown me in his future life for this, but I've got a story to tell about my 19-month-old named William. I have a 19-month-old son named William. He's got a twin named Carol. And for a month or so of his young life, William was obsessed with the toilet. Obsessed, Okay. There would be a pause in the actions, things would go quiet, and sure enough, William would be splish-splashing in the guest bathroom toilets. Just having a grand old time, splish-splashing, laughing, smiling, sometimes singing. I mean, he was doing some intense work over there. Okay? Now look, William's enthusiasm for the toilet was understandable. Okay, It makes sense. He's young, right? But it's not good. It was never good. In fact, it's filthy. Okay, so that's a problem. And so I often have the job of disciplining William about the toilet, trying to explain to him in, like, one-and-a-half-year-old terms why we don't play in the toilet. Okay? And what I came to was this thought. So when I would start to discipline him and talk to him about it, I would say, William, that's not who you are. I know, that's very pastoral. I mean, that's very... Leave it to the pastor to give some sort of identity discipline speech. I say, I literally said this, William, that's not who you are. And what I meant by that, and what I mean by that when I tell it to William and to Carol, is that you're a human being, not a dog. That's not who you are. You're not a dog. You don't play in the toilet bowl. You're a human being. And while it makes sense for a 17-month-old to play with toilet water, there I go, it was just a month ago, uh, more, more incrimination on the tape, more reasons to hate your father when you grow up. Um, anyway, so... Look, when, even though it's understandable that William has problems, okay, that he goes to the toilet. <laughs> okay. I'm just digging myself a hole. Therapy, therapy, therapy. 
<laughs> you can already feel it coming. Uh, anyway, the, he, that, he knew that it was, it's understandable, but it wasn't good. It's filthy, and it, it's below what it means to be a human being. Okay? That's clear, no matter what age you are. And my guess is that if we read this passage closely, and if I did my job of talking through it well, we all found a place where we were playing in the toilet. Look, just because other people, other friends think it's fine and even fun, after all, Carol joined in the fun a lot of times. There we go, another <laughs> counseling bill. Um, it doesn't erase the fact that it's toilet water that we're splashing around in. Okay? No matter how many other people are doing it. It may feel understandable, but it still isn't good. It's filthy. But if we believe in Jesus, if we believe we're united to him by faith, there is forgiveness, there is cleansing for the way that you and I play in the toilet all of the time. And there is power, there is resurrection power within us. Jesus himself in his spirit is inside of us, helping us to resist, to put to death, and to put to off, put off the toilet bowl's charms. Because, let's not forget, that kind of speech, that kind of anger, that kind of sex, that kind of lust is not who we are. It's not who we are. Don't forget, we may feel sheepish and wild and woolly a lot of the time. But you're a lion in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, um, <laughs> all over the place, uh, sell our hearts. Help us to, to take away what we can take away here. We need you, Jesus. We can't do this without you. Um, help us not to forget our union with you, your power working inside of us, to help us to keep um, putting off the things that are toilet water in our lives. Um, I pray that you would help us to see those things and to turn from them. And I pray, Father, that we wouldn't forget who we were, that we're yours in Christ by faith, and I pray that we would all, wherever we are, move towards that place. And I pray, Father, that you would be gentle and patient with us and forgive us and cleanse us, even as the many ways that we use our bodies and use our mouths uh, hurt ourselves and hurt other people. Jesus, you're enough. You're enough even when we're a handful. We ask these things in your son's name.